Welcome to Canaanbaum Podcast, episode 39. I'm Tom Barthel, currently serving as pastor at Christ Lutheran Church, a Wells congregation in Baxter, Minnesota. We'll begin this episode with God's Word for You by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 12, verses 1 to 6. Then Job replied, Doubtless you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things? We'll stop there for a second. Now Job responds to Zophar and all of his friends. Zophar's venomous attack has affected and infected Job. And to begin with, he turns to sarcasm. Doubtless you are the people, he says. Uh, The word for doubtless in Hebrew here is the word omnam. It's a form of the word amen. This is most certainly true. But Job also says, who doesn't know this? They haven't said anything to persuade him, and they haven't said anything to comfort him either. Verse 4. I have become a laughing stock to my friends, though I called upon God, and he answered, a mere laughing stock though righteous and blameless. Sandwiched in between Job's complaint about being a laughingstock is a statement we should not ignore and which we should meditate on some more. I called upon God, Job says, and he answered. Some commentators don't know how to understand this. I think it's because they think it only applies to Job's life since his suffering has begun. But we should go back to the first chapter of the book where we hear Job calling out to God, making sacrifices, on burnt offerings really, on behalf of his children so that God will forgive their sins. Job says, and he answered. Now, how should we understand this? We can imagine Job praying for you know, good weather and health of his flocks and family, and God's answer could have been the silent yes, granting Job's prayer with the very good weather and the health of those in the patriarch's care for which he had prayed. And we could and should call that God's answer. But in this context, it would not be inappropriate to understand Job as saying that the Lord God had actually spoken to Job. Certainly God is going to do just that later in the book, Had he done it before? We can't answer that question with the information before us. But this is a point we can leave open and we can notice Job's faith. He believed in God and he had every reason to believe that he himself was a forgiven sinner who was righteous and blameless. Yet his friends were attacking the very roots of Job's faith. Continue with 5 and 6. Men at ease have contempt for misfortune as the fate of those whose feet are slipping. The tents of marauders are undisturbed, and those who provoke God are secure, those who carry their God in their hands. Well, verse 6 is plain enough. Job takes the entire argument of his three friends, and he what flips it upside down. He says, if you guys think that God always punishes wickedness in this lifetime, then open your eyes and see that there are wicked people everywhere who are undisturbed, who are secure. They're the ones who are bullies and unbelievers and even idolaters. Well, that's verse 6. Verse 5 is not as easy to understand. Job seems to be saying that such believers, the ones he describes in verse 6, 
are relaxed, men at ease, and have nothing but contempt for people who are less fortunate, like the poor and the suffering, thinking that it's their fate to fall into ruin. Now, Job says this bitterly, but his observation is that people who are both wicked and successful in life have nothing but scorn for the people, or rather for the poor and the oppressed. Job is really complaining about people who buy into the idea of the survival of the fittest as applying to humanity. We call it social Darwinism today. In, in 1903, George Bernard Shaw wrote, We must eliminate the Yahoo, or his vote will wreck the Commonwealth. He said that in a book called Man and Superman. In my edition, it's on page 245. Job who was once as powerful and as influential as any king, has joined, has joined uh, Shaw's yahoos in his suffering. And now he understands their dilemma. With no one to help him, there is nobody to look to at all except God. And here is why God permits suffering to happen. Because there are those people in the world who will never look to God unless there's no other possibility. And the incredible truth is that God loves those people too. God's words to the people returning from the exile shows this again and again in the Bible. He scolds them. You have planted much, but have harvested little, he says through Haggai. You eat, but you never have enough. They were people who had been blessed, but they didn't give thanks. They just kept on screaming for more. God permitted Job's suffering partly to show the rest of us that terrible truth. So if we've been so fortunate, or such yahoos, that we have been turned to God before the moment when we lost everything else in our lives, then we have to realize how blessed we are. We have even more reasons to thank and to praise and to serve and obey Him. His forgiveness is His greatest gift. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. Up next is a live recording by Koine, Blessed Jesus, Living Bread. Later in our podcast, we'll give you details on how you can download a free copy of the song. Leads them in a barren 
to the judge. Genesis 18, 20-25 Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? God knows. He knows when we sin. 
We like to justify sinful actions by thinking he doesn't know or isn't really paying attention. Every last detail is under his gaze, from the hand that strikes out in anger to the heart that holds back in resentment and seeks vengeance. The handful of righteous, the believers who lived around Sodom, were evidently crying out to God that he not only pay attention to the wickedness around them, but that he also take action. Perhaps it was also the outcry of the angels, and maybe not the people. Maybe it was both the people and the angels. The point is that sin was so terrible in Sodom that not only did it rend the heart of God, but it caused a great outcry in which God could not but respond. God is just. He tells this to Abraham as he is going off to verify if the sin is really so bad. He tells Abraham he will look and see. He will make sure this is really true. He puts this in human terms, of course. God didn't have to verify that Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked any more than he had to confront Adam and Eve by saying, Did you eat from the tree which I told you not to eat? He knows. But he wants Abraham to know he acts in justice, to judge. But more than that, he wants Abraham to appeal to the judge of all. He's inviting Abraham to hold him to his own divine will and character. So Abraham appeals to God to spare Sodom, even if only for the sake of a few believers who might be found there. You can be sure Abraham was concerned about his nephew and his nephew's family, as well as any other believers that might be found. But he wanted the whole city to be spared. God tells us in his word that his wrath is coming. He tells us that a day of judgment awaits us all. The destruction that was poured out in judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah is only a shadow of the judgment that will be poured out on all the earth. The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah included sexual immorality, things like adultery, pornography, sexual intercourse outside the marriage bond for the unmarried, and homosexuality. We'll get a picture of this attitude as the men of the town will seek to homosexually rape other men and argue that they will not be judged by any other for their sin. Do you see it today? Does the cry out go? Does the cry go out as the spiritual beings and those born again by the Spirit of our God, they see it all? Do you cry out, Look, Lord, take heed. Look at what's being done, done to our children. Look at where people are turning and the coldness of hearts. But more importantly, do you see an opportunity to turn to the judge of all in an appeal for mercy? God desires we do this. He wants us to intercede on behalf of a sinful world doomed to destruction. He desires that we appeal to his mercy and that we have him show his grace to a world lost in sin. Not all will want such grace. Many will reject it. But God wants you and I to turn to him not only in an outcry against sin, seeking vengeance, but a plea for mercy. Lord, spare us. Spare the righteous who are among the wicked. Deliver them. And along with them, show mercy to the rest of this world. Jesus, the righteous one, was slain for us, the unrighteous, the wicked, and for all the world. The judge of all has brought justice. 
He brought it upon his Son, that he may give mercy to us all. Pray that this world would enjoy this mercy as a gift. He will come again. Judgment is coming. But know that he is a God, rich in mercy. As you and I wait for him to put an end to it all, bring us to his eternal rest. Moment with the Master is shared by Pastor Aaron Nitz. Hello. The portion of God's Word we will focus on today is from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 24, verses 50 to 51. It's the uh, portion of, of Jesus' ascension. When he, that's Jesus, had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. You know, we often remember how someone looks by the way that we last saw him or her. Well, what an awesome picture Jesus gave his disciples and us as he left our visible presence. Forty days after Jesus' resurrection, he visibly ascended into the sky. We're told that Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed the disciples. Well, when Jesus lifted up his hands... What would the disciples have seen? The nail marks, of course, the proof that Jesus had gone into the cross in order to win salvation for them. We're also told that Jesus just started rising into the sky. Jesus, their Lord and Savior, has the power to do anything. And we're never told that Jesus put his hands of blessing down, nor that he left. We're simply told that a cloud hid him from their sight. What a powerful picture of our Savior. Jesus hasn't left us either. Although we can't see him with our eyes, he is present with us no matter what. He is present with us with all power in heaven and earth. And finally, his hands are still up in blessing today, reminding us of the nail marks and of our God's amazing love in forgiving our sins. So, are you confused, anxious, full of worry, afraid, nervous? Take another look at your risen and ascended Lord. His hands are still up in blessing. And he rules all things in order to bring you to your eternal home with him forever. What a picture. What a sight to see. I'm thankful to have such a gracious and powerful Savior. And so are you. God bless you on the rest of your day. We'll close our episode with a song shared by Stephen Bautista, You Never Did. never fully understood why you agreed to save us when you knew the price you had to pay was pain beyond endurance I know if I were in your shoes I wouldn't hesitate to leave this world of fools but you you never did I 
Let them pierce your mighty hands when you had the power to stop them. You could have flown at lightning speed when they challenge you to come down off that tree. But you never did You never budged an inch You never did You never even flinched You could have left us all And wrote us off as a lost cause But you never did You stopped Really could have left us You never did You never budged an inch You never did You never even flinched You could have left us all But you never did You really could have left us You really could have left us You've been listening to Canaanbaum Podcast, episode number 39. We'd like to thank Stephen Bautista for allowing us to share his music today, as well as Koine. For more information on these artists, visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com. Also, to receive a free download of live recordings from Koine, visit KoineMusic.com slash thank you and subscribe to their mailing list to receive a download link. This episode was first shared in September of 2013. We encourage you to find a Wells ministry in your area. Visit wells.net to find a location nearest you. Thanks for joining us. To whom now shall we go?